You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions. And it's a true podcast today. Talking all things Pac-12 football, because we are not live on YouTube for some reason. I don't know. Some David screwed something up or whatever. But we're just doing a podcast today. Old school. Kick uh, old school. Ryan, Ryan is engaging in landlord behavior. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to support his lies about this subject. Uh, landlord's like a bad word. Yes. People don't like that. A, a murderous class of people. We Even though like I'm like it. helping displaced, you know, mm-hmm. uh, storm victims, but mm-hmm. whatever. That's mm-hmm. why I'm out here, out here in the desert. Couldn't mm-hmm. do the video. Uh, but yeah, we got to still do a show. We got a preview week eight. We had an awesome week seven, right? Like there was a lot of cool games. There's It's all right. Week, week eight, sort of like a, a little bit of a lull before we get into, uh, you know, the meaty, meaty, meaty part of the Pac-12 football schedule. But if you want to... Uh, Get a hold of us. You can email us. We've been getting a lot of emails lately, David. I don't know if you've checked the email box, but a lot. Uh, me, ch- me check the email box? Yeah, you don't do that. Uh, Pac- you do leave all the spam in there, so I have to delete all those. Uh, Pac12podcast at gmail.com, or you can call or text us. Uh, 424-532-0678 is the number. We won't do voicemails uh, for this show. We did. I think we did a couple last last show. Uh, you can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast, and the website is Pac12Podcast.com. And we do appreciate wherever you follow us. If you, you know, we're not doing a YouTube show today, but please like and subscribe our Podcast of Champions YouTube channel. And then wherever you get the podcasts, uh, please follow us there. Subscribe, like it, give it a five-star rating if you can, wherever you do it. Uh, we appreciate all of that. We appreciate it all, as Ryan said. And we appreciate even the lesser weeks of Pac-12 football which this one may very well be, or it might be very cool. We don't know. We're not prognosticators. Certainly not Ryan. He's not a prognosticator. He's only I, one game above 500 this year. 
Hell, you I might know. even say half a game above 500 because one of those is a tie. No, that, that's one game, and that's that. That's not the counting above 500. Wow, but, wow. Yeah. Somebody's getting very... And I've lost by a lot of half points. Game. Yeah. A lot of half points this, uh, this time. But I'm going to jump back into it, David. I'm going to get get good this week, and I'm going to do it over at my bookie because they've been helping us out uh, for the last few years. I think we've been working with my bookie. I want to let you guys know our promo code PAC-12 is going to exist in perpetuity. Even if the PAC-12 is dead, they told us we're going to keep that promo code PAC-12. So right now, if you use the promo code PAC-12, you will get your first deposit up to $200 in cash. So promo code PAC-12, go over to my bookie. You can get your cash bonus right now. That's great. You can make a little bet. You get your 200 in cash. You can take it out, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if your team is up or down. You can cash out easily. Bet the game live. Like if you see a game going, oh, it's going a certain direction. Seems like it's going. You want to get on the winning side, you can bet it live. Bet at halftime. Uh, fun stuff over there. You can check all that stuff out. Um, the cash bonus has no strings attached. So make sure you use the promo code PAC12. Uh, and you can do that. And of course, you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only at my bookie. And I'll say this for you out there who's a, a competent sports better, live betting, great, great option for many people. For Ryan, it does feel like good money, money chasing bad constantly, um, <laughs> just because he's he's so bad at this. I've been uh, I would start off good. Last couple of weeks have been uh, have been a little bad. So we're going to jump back into it. Um, this one, I've been, it's funny, I've done a lot of uh, radio hits for USC, especially like Utah, a lot of Utah radio, uh, I get on their shows, and they'll always ask me, like, how do you think the game's going to go? I'm like, well, let me tell you, I've been, <laughs> like, last year, so we do uh, picks um, for the whole staff, uscfootball.com, and I won betting against the spread last year, like, I was, I don't know, 8-4 or whatever it was, something like that. And I am now in last place. Like, I was really good at picking USC last year. I am awful at picking USC this year. So we'll see how I'll do this week. Um, but, yeah. I've, so I tell them, like, just just so you know, I've been awful at pick, predicting what USC is going to do this year, even though I cover the team. Yeah. I nailed Correct. last week what UCLA was going to do. So at least I, I got you oh, on I, that one. So I've been pretty good across the board, right? I've been horrible on UCLA this really? week. Really? Horrible. I'm like one and whatever they are now. I'm like one, four, and one. No, no, I'm one and four because the FCS didn't count. I'm one and okay, four. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I have picked one game correctly, and it was the opener. Nice. Um, well, it should be a good one. I mean, it's, I don't like the distrib- distribution of games having like a 1230, a five, and two 730s, but, uh, you know, whatever. What can you do? It's not going to, we're always going to get ideal. Uh, game weeks over here. Uh, for your picks, make sure you put your survival pool picks in there. I think we're down to like 40 people or something, or 44 people. Um, David's still alive. I am dead, right? You are dead. I am dead. Uh, I'll just put that in the, the Ryan dead. What is David's pick going to be for this week? Oh, wow. That's a question, isn't it? That's a real question. We I mean, could um, wait till later. I just, you know. All right, you you talk for a little bit longer because I'm gonna have to. I will talk for a little bit longer. Just okay. So how the sausage is made? Uh, because I'm remote, uh, I am not going to be, you know, writing the the copy, putting up the. You know, I I do all the stuff right behind the scenes, like you know, creating. I mean, YouTube. let's not say everything, right? Pretty much everything. That's unfair. Uh, almost everything. Um, so David's gonna do it all this week. 
So we'll see how smoothly it goes. So if uh, if you're like, oh, there, there's usually more of a description in there, and, and I'd like to, like, nope, that might not happen this week. So we'll see. David hates writing that kind of stuff. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. But I'm uh, going to go with, uh, with God damn. Um, they're not in the pack. I'm going right with there. Washington. Washington, okay. Yeah. I got to go put it in Matthew's spreadsheet. Nice. Please continue. Continue talking. Yeah. Uh, there's not like, so Matthew talked about this. I mean, there's some people that just, there's not a lot of great options left. Uh, you know, we're getting down to sort of the, uh, the nitty gritty. Um, but yeah, I think Washington's a good pick. Arizona state's got what one win on the season. They got yeah, go, and, and go to Seattle. Uh, UCLA at Stanford scares me a little bit. I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean every every spread is at least a touchdown this week, uh, but most of them are multiple with, you know, a twenty point spread, a seventeen point spread. You're picking the biggest favorite, twenty six and a half points, but it's a Pac twelve. You know, we've seen some weird, weird stuff happen. So yeah, the only options for me are UCLA and Washington. I guess I could take Stanford, but that would be bold. Yeah, if you took Stanford, you win, right? Like, if if Stanford won. Yeah, you win the you win the whole thing. You win the whole pool. Like that's like the sort of risk you could take. Like people have been doing that. They've been, you know, uh, actually no one did it when Stanford actually won. People had taken like the big underdogs earlier, but I don't think anybody took Stanford when they beat Colorado. No, no. That was like the yeah. I think there was like when we had underdogs winning. Uh, crazy. Pretty crazy. Uh, all right, so I don't have the the mixing board, so we don't have any sound effects. Oh, sorry, uh, I got any, to Okay. Any sort of news? Do we have like? Uh, um, I don't think there is, right? No, no, no news. No news is good news. It's funny when people like ask about like they talk about, oh, so what kind of podcast you do? And I tell them, and they always ask about like, well, what are you going to do with the Pac-12 one? And it's like, yeah, we're still trying to figure that out. Uh, I mean, I don't know if we can decide until we even know what happens to Oregon State and Washington State, you know, like we yeah. can just be Oregon State, Washington State, Pac-2 podcast. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think we need to know, like, whatever, you know, how this is going to go down before we decide. Agreed. Nice. OK, uh, should we get into the games? I would love to get into the games. Let's get into some freaking games. Uh, Pac-12 roundup. No, is that what we do? Uh, that's usually after. That's like a preview. It's more like the dun dun. Don't we do a sound effect before we get into this? Uh, we do the roundup. I think when we recap games. I don't know about. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, anyway, uh, first game of Saturday, twelve thirty p.m. on ABC. The Washington State Cougars. Meow. Uh, taking on uh the number nine Oregon Ducks. Quack. Quack, quack, uh, on the road in Eugene. Uh, Oregon is a 20-point favorite. And if you told me, like, three weeks ago, uh, Washington State would be getting 20 points on the road at Oregon, I would have uh, gobbled up those juicy, juicy points super quickly uh, because Washington State was looking pretty dynamic offensively at that point. Uh, but now they've gone... They've basically gone belly up the last two weeks. Um, Arizona, they looked fundamentally broken uh, to the point where people are like, you might need to sit Cam Ward, which is crazy considering where he was three weeks ago. Um, 
You know, Oregon uh, defensively is fine. I don't think they're great. Um, but, I mean, what is Washington State at this point? Like, are they... Are they a very good offense? Are they a decent offense? Are they maybe a bad offense that nobody had sussed out yet? I'm kind of concerned that everyone has the book on Washington State now, and they're going to be able to shut down that offense. And without that offensive performance, I think Oregon's going to be able to run the ball on them pretty effectively. And at 20 points, I'm going to take the Ducks. Yeah, I, I'm trying to talk myself into, like, Washington State. Because I... But man, they've looked. I, I think I texted you like, did UCLA break Washington State? Yeah. Um, and it just—they've not looked the same. Uh, it's just been—it's just been really bad. Uh, you know, the offense—you're like, wow, new offensive coordinator, everything's looking better. Cougs are scoring. Um, you know, they get that big win over Oregon State, and you're just like, okay, this is a this is a team that can go places and. You know, okay, you can excuse going to the Rose Bowl and getting trucked in the second half by UCLA. But then when Arizona comes to town, you're like, okay, they're going to at least show a pulse. Like, to not show a pulse at home and give up 40-something points in a row to the Wildcats was just like, whoa, what is going on here? And I know they did some dumb shit that was like, they kind of killed their momentum early on, but I mean, that was early in the game. Like you can get that back and they just never did. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is really tough for me. I'm going to, I'm going to take Oregon as well. Um, I mean, if it was like 22, like if it was more yeah, than honestly, three touchdowns. Yeah, honestly, if you went above the three touchdown threshold, they'd probably go Washington State. It's just like under three touchdowns and Oregon is going to be like probably pissed off that they, you know, lost a close one. Yeah. Um, little note, uh, Oregon is the only FBS team that hasn't committed multiple turnovers in a game. That's kind of cool. And Washington state, if they get a win here, uh, they would be three and zero to start the season against AP ranked opponents. They have never won each of the first three games against ranked opponents in a single season in program history. Wait, so, what? So Washington state. They've never won their first three games against ranked opponents to start oh, that's, a season. That's a bullshit stat because UCLA was ranked right after UCLA waxed them. Right, but they weren't when they were doing it. No, oh, whatever. Okay, well, that's just bullshit. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Okay, no, I love, I love, uh, I love uh, facts. Yeah. Facts are good. Um, I, I think you know of all the shit that we give the Pac-12, like. I love what Greg does over like these stats guys. And I can't believe I didn't have it for, for years. Like I was like, Oh, I'm, he's like, I'm, I think I met him at the, one of the basketball tournaments or something like the, and, and he's like, Oh, you're not on my stats email. Like, and then he sent me like, Oh, this is really cool stuff. Like they do a really nice job. You know, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Proud of them. Um, yeah. So Oregon, um, I think they cover that. Um, all right. Moving on to our second game of the day. Uh, this is at 5 p.m. on Fox. Uh, number 14, Utah Utes, thump, uh, going on the road to take on number 18, USC Trojans. Uh, USC is a seven-point favorite at home. Um, so, what have we seen from USC this year? Uh, have we we've we've seen them beat up on a lot of really bad teams? Yeah, right. We've seen that. 
Um, and then that was the first three games. And then literally every opponent with like the barest pulse has caused this team difficulties. So that's ASU on the road. That was a 24-21 game, I think, coming out of the third quarter. Uh, Colorado on the road, uh, famously. Colorado almost did to them what Stanford did to Colorado last week. Uh, Arizona should have won. And then Notre Dame beat that ass super hard um, in kind of embarrassing fashion. So what we know about USC right now is that they have a very good offense that has sputtered a little bit of late. Um, Caleb Williams did not start off good against Arizona, kind of got into it after a while. And then they were bad the whole game against Notre Dame. And the defense is mediocre, uh, maybe slightly better of late, but mediocre. Um, and then on the flip side, you have Utah. Utah may start, I don't know, like a defensive lineman at running back <laughs> in this game. You don't know. No, I think they're sticking with the. I think they're going to stick with the defensive back. I think that yeah, probably work. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what they're going to try to do? Uh, the amazing thing is that, like, by hook or by crook, they've kind of figured out how to do like at least a little bit of offensing, and it makes you wonder, like, really, how bad was Justin Wilcox in like 2019 when they could not generate any offense? Because Utah's doing it with literally a defensive back at running back right now. Yeah. Um, they can they can they can do a little bit of pounding. They can do a little bit of running. Um, they're not gonna pass the ball uh, at all. Um, but can they control this game again on the ground against USC? And can that defense um, do what the last really good defense did to USC, which is shut it down completely and make it look like ass. And that's what Notre Dame did last week. I kind of think it might, and this is too many points. So USC minus seven, I'm going to take the Utes. Uh, yeah, I agree with your um, assessment of things it like I've been really bad at picking USC to the point where the USC fans don't want me to pick them to cover. Um, I've been thinking that they're okay. They can turn it around. They can turn it around. I thought they would. They came home against Arizona did not. Um, and then of course the, the debacle on the road get like, if this was like a pick them or something, I might pick USC, but like seven points, I got to take Utah here. Cause I'd, I mean, I think there's definitely a scenario that Utah comes in and wins the game um, just from what we've seen from history. Now, I could see USC sort of figure out, you know, they, you didn't learn from like your mistakes when you won the game where you thought, you know, there was like poor performances. And if you can't lose, if you can't l learn from when you lose a game, I mean, there's something I think seriously wrong. But I would say, would I be shocked if USC beat them by like, 17 points or something like now. I mean, you know, Caleb Williams gets going. The Utah offense is somewhat limited. Um, you know, they just don't throw the ball that effectively without Cam Ward there. Uh, and I think it's going to be the pig farmer probably starting in this one. Uh, Bryson Barnes. I could see that happening, but there's just too many scenarios where this is a very close game and seven points just seems like a whole hell of a lot. So, uh, can I share I, a stat with the USC fans out there? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Jonah Ellis, uh, he's a defensive end for Utah. Uh, you may have been familiar with him from other games this year. Do you know how many sacks he has this year? How many? He's got nine. That's a lot. That's a lot at this point in the year because uh, Utah's played six games. That's, that's nine in six games. 
Hey, how has USC's uh, offensive line been of late at protecting They've been, Caleb um, Williams? Like hot garbage, basically. Yes. Nice, nice, nice. And he's do- and he ha- and he's been doing his usual thing under pressure, like being really good. Or no, not he had one much. bad game. <laughs> yeah, he had a really bad game when he was under pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but this uh, thing, Utah does not play as well away from home. True. And the the stat for from Greg is USC is eleven and zero at home under Lincoln Riley. Uh, so, and this is the first time they're hosting a ranked conference opponent since 2019. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. That's um, crazy. That's a reflection of how bad the conference has been. Um, so just to give a, a little bit more, um, torture for USC fans, do you know, uh, the, so Bill Connolly does his like confidence bands, um, of like, uh, how many wins this team will end up with based on right now, right now, it is more likely that USC finishes with eight wins than finishes with 10. Yeah, I would probably disagree with that one, but, you know, that's... That's just statistical analysis, buddy. This would be um, a pivotal... This is certainly a pivotal game uh, for USC. Like, Utah, not as This much. is a like, must if, win. This is a must win. I think it is. Like, after what happened, you know, just because of what happened last year with USC and Utah, and if you do have those championship aspirations, uh, they haven't looked good. They get killed by Notre Dame. They're still in first place in the conference. So, like, this is like if you win this one, it's like, oh, okay. Then you got Cal. Now you're looking at Washington and Oregon, you know? So, like, okay. So then it's like. And those will go well. No, but, I mean, then then now you're, like, at a different place at, uh, you know, eight and one or whatever and going into those big games. And one of them, you know, you get Washington at home, all that. If you lose this one, now there's, like, there's not a lot of scenarios where you're bouncing back from that and like, oh, you, you could lose to Utah at home, but you could beat Washington at home or you could beat Oregon on the road. That's why I agree with you. Like, this is like a must win uh, for them. For Utah, you can, I think they could still bounce back from, they still have really tough games coming up. But if you lose a road one at for Utah, it's like, okay, that's, yeah. it's a little more acceptable. Um, Totes. Yeah. Uh, Utah, they are first place in the Pac 12 in time of possession. 34 minutes, 17 seconds, and that's third in FBS. Um, so uh, Utah's been holding on the ball. I forget that the the run-to-pass ratio was like 3-1 to one last week against Cal. Like it was like 60-something runs and 20 passes or whatever. I mean, it was something along those lines. So, um, yeah, we'll see if they can do that, if they can keep that going. Uh, or if they get into more third and longs, they got to throw the ball. Um you know, we'll see kind of what happens there. But USC needs to kind of get out early on Utah, although they've done that the last two times and they, you know, collapsed later. But um, that's with Cam Ward. I mean, Cam Ward, <laughs> Cam Rising at uh, quarterback. Um, if you could get a lead on Bryson Barnes or Nate Johnson, I, th- I think it's going to be a different story. But they got to do that. And they haven't had leads the last two weeks. True. All right, um, moving okay. on. Moving on to our seven thir- one of our 7.30 games on ESPN. Number 25, UCLA Bruins rawr, at the Stanford Cardinal. Stanford is a 17-point dog here. Um, so, UCLA, uh, fresh off of uh, a 24-36 loss to Oregon State on the road, Stanford fresh off a double overtime victory over Colorado. Um, it's a really interesting spot, I think, for both teams. Um, Stanford, 
how many times over the years have we seen like a kind of a unexpected win that comes in a strange way, have a galvanizing effect on a team and suddenly they're playing better football and they're playing better on both sides of the ball. Um, that could be what Colorado does to them, or it just could be a false positive dead cat bounce and they lose out the rest of the year. Uh, UCLA. Um, yeah. They've they've now done two conference road games where they played uh, horribly against Utah uh, on offense um, and then played pretty horribly on offense against Oregon State while the defense also collapsed under the onslaught of that balanced offense. Uh, Dante Moore was horrible in both games, and he was also pretty bad against Washington State at quarterback. Uh, Big question coming into this one. Is he going to start again? Uh, If he does, is he going to be good? Um, and that's an open question at this point. Um, the defense I think is going to show up again. Uh, Oregon state was kind of a unique challenge in their effective balance on both sides of the ball. I think the defense is going to be able to do, you know, more or less what it needs to do against Stanford to shut down what is for the most part, a pretty inept attack. Um, I think they will go with Ashton Daniels. I think Alec Ayomanor is part of the answer at receiver, but it sounds like Ben Urosek is not going to be back for this game. It sounds like um, John Humphreys is still not back. So it's really a one a one receiver offense, um, two pretty decent running backs in Casey Filkins and EJ Smith, but it's not the kind of attack that caused UCLA issues against Oregon State. Um, uh, long story short, 17 points is a little too much for me. I'm going to take Stanford, but I do think UCLA wins um, relatively comfortably. Uh, All right. A great analysis there. Um, You talked about the dead cat bounce back. (laughs) Um, I love that. By the way, uh, do you remember in 2021, uh, Stanford was three and two. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, just lost to UCLA by 11 and some inexplicably gets a win over Oregon. Do you remember that? Sure. And you're like, wow, this is like a, I'm sorry. They were two and two. They were three and two now. And I think that was the year I called Stanford ass. And then people like got on me. We probably got Zodiac killer to call. Uh, did you think that that was like a galvanizing win for them? What would you think? Um, we may have thought that at the time. I know where this is going. Yeah, they lost the next seven games. Um, <laughs> but that was so, David Shaw. That was uh, that was right. the walking zombie. But we the, the the false positive thing has been something like when USC when Stanford was pretty good. That was like a false positive for USC fans a lot, where you're like, oh, they like they look good against Stanford, and it usually whatever that game, it just kind of was the opposite. It didn't really matter. Stanford's just a weird. It's it's. It's that weird cousin that comes into your life every once in a while, and they might be overseas, and you're not sure what they're really doing or what they do. It's really hard to predict what's going to happen with Stanford. Did you think 29 nothing, and then they just go off and uh, some guy from Canada is going to catch 300 yards of passes in one half of football? Like, no, I don't think you really expected that, but that's what happened. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take UCLA to cover this huge number on the road. Uh, because you've been terrible at picking UCLA games. That's, so I'm that, just going to go... That's the best possible logic. I'm going to go opposite of you, because I don't know what the hell... Could Stanford, like, show some spunk 
or could they just like literally roll over and die? Like those could happen. Do you trust so Chip, Chip Kelly I, to like cover a huge spread on the road? No. I'm going to help you with a little bit more analysis. Okay. Just just so you can rethink things, okay? Yeah. Stanford has played three home games this year. Yep. They lost to Sac State, but they lost to Sac State by seven. And frankly, frankly, uh, Sac State's pretty goddamn good. Like they're, you know, they'd probably be top 60 in the FBS right, right now. They lost to Arizona by one. And they lost to Oregon by 38. However, it was 14 to six at halftime. True. And they may have they may have found a receiver who's actually good, and they may have figured out their quarterback. So uh, here here's where I'm here's my mentality coming into this game. Not out of the question, Stanford just wins. Um, so if you're going to give me 17 points, yeah, yeah, for sure, 100. percent right. But how good have you been picking UCLA games? Ass, okay. just pure ass. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a good good job. All right. Uh, let me let me give you some uh, some little oh, stats. Yeah, please, please. If that's okay. The momentum of the show with some stats. Yeah, the Bruins have committed at least one turnover in every game this season, and mm. multiple turnovers in five of the six games. The only one they had was against North Carolina Central, which is a thing, I guess. But did Stanford play? I mean, you still have played something named North Carolina Central. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Stanford, the Cardinal completed their biggest comeback in school history. Down twenty nine mm-hmm. to nothing. It was the fourth largest comeback in Pac twelve history, and Alec uh, 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 Aoman- Manners, is that how you say his name? I've uh, been going with Aomanor. Aomanor, I like that. Oh, that's what we were saying before. Uh, but I've heard I've heard many uh, people say different things. Uh, Two hundred ninety four yards. Uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. nice. I love uh, I love being interrupted for that. Okay, um, 7.30 p.m. concurrent. You got, you got, you got dueling banjos, uh, 7.30 p.m. on FS1. The Arizona State Sun Devils, <laughs> at number five, Washington Huskies. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Um, Washington's a 26-and-a-half-point favorite uh, at home. Uh, this is a no-look uh, ASU pick for me. Um, I don't need to consult any stats. The only thing I need to be aware of is Kalen DeBoer's disturbing habit of putting in his backups too early and allowing blowouts to become slightly less extreme blowouts. So Arizona State, for sure. No wow. question about it. Not even not even the slightest question in my mind about this one. Like, it is absolutely certain that ASU is going to be down, I don't know, let's say... Going into the fourth quarter, it's going to be 45 to 10. And Kalen DeBoer is going to throw his backups in there because he's a nice guy and he likes to give up points and he likes to get his like fourth stringer some time. And they're going to score two touchdowns and it's going to be a 21 point win. No doubt. Zero doubt in my mind. So ASU is coming off a um, bye week, right? Yep. They've had time to prepare with uh, with Denny. With uh, Denny Killingham. Just like preparing that stuff a little bit. Um, what did they do the week before that? They've they lost. Uh, they've lost twice by three points. Yeah, the they, they, games. they went to Cal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was and they outgained them four hundred thirty to three twenty six. Should have won, didn't. Should have won that game. This isn't Cal, David. This is okay. 
our number one ranked <laughs> Washington Huskies, who just beat. Oregon. I'm trying to save you from yourself because you will gain a point on me, obviously, with UCLA Stanford, but you are going to lose it right back with this one. I'm trying to save you from yourself. I will. But you're not allowing me. I'm going to no. I I was hoping you were going to pick Washington because I definitely wanted to go ASU on this one. It just seems like a lot of points. Um, I'm going to have to like. Do you know how to eat an elephant, David? <laughs> one bite at a time. That's how you eat an elephant. So I'll do one game different from you this week. I'm not going to do. I did like five games different last week. Um, yeah, going against your terrible UCLA track record, I, I feel confident in that one. But I like the other. I, you know, I, I'm agreeing with the logic on all these other ones. Um, yeah, it just seems like a lot of points. Like Arizona State was keeping. They're they're sort of a they're they have a terrible record, but they're like in the games. Like they're, they're it's not like they're getting like blown out by these teams. No, um, they didn't even really get blown out. I mean, uh, the underlying stats weren't great against USC, but that was a three point game late too. Yeah. Um, ASU is one and five to start the season for the first time since 1942. Jesus. Um, which. You know, I don't know how much college football was going on during World War II, but that's apparently a thing. Um, yeah, and Washington, this is their highest rank since uh, back in 2017, when they were also number five. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, a couple other facts before we get into, uh, we talked about um, UCLA, we talked about Stanford. So Oregon State is on a bye week, right? Correct. They are bowl eligible for third straight season. First time since 2007 to 2009 that they were bowl eligible three straight years. And it's their best seven game start since they started six and one in uh, 2013. Um, so kudos for that. Um, Colorado's note is their that 29 point uh, lead they blew was the largest in program history. Um, Cal, after their loss in uh, Salt Lake City, they are one in twenty on the road versus ranked teams in the Pac-12 era, so that's not very good. And then Arizona's is a—they uh, beat number nineteen Washington State forty-four to six on Saturday, tied for the largest margin of victory against a ranked opponent in program history. Do you know the other one that they tied? Mm. They beat number seven UCLA by thirty-eight points in two thousand five. That might have been after like they beat USC or something. Was it? Oh no, no, they didn't beat USC that year. Uh, but UCLA was good that year. That, that was a uh, third best running back, Maurice Jones Drew. We're talking. Yeah. We're talking about Arizona uh, beating uh, UCLA that year. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was the famous Willie Tuitama game. I was at that game. Uh, UCLA came in uh, undefeated. They were number eight. seven. Yeah, number seven. And they. Uh, laid the biggest egg possible and that was a team that was a UCLA team that like found themselves down by like 21 points in several games and made those like insane comebacks um and then everyone was thinking oh they'll just come back and just the blowout just continued and it was it was just an absolute deluge of uh points and uh Willie Tuitama um that was his coming out party basically uh they Pac-12 quarterback it was fun uh I enjoyed it and then, uh, then they bounced back the next week and then got absolutely blasted off the field by USC, 66-19. I, gotcha. I remember it well. So the, the fall from number seven was... Uh, precipitous. Yeah, <laughs> it was a rapid fall. Okay, or precipitous, I like that. Um, okay, why don't we uh, take a quick break 
and we'll come back and uh, answer your questions. So back in a minute. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. We're back. Nice. Good stuff, David. I, I really almost brought I almost brought the uh I forgot to bring my, you know, mixing board, but it's a little hairy to do it with uh my laptop on the road, but it could it's potentially it could potentially be done. But just hearing you do all the, the sound effects is is more fun. Plus there's only four games. You don't have to do too many. <clears throat> the it's honest to God, the worst part is the uh sound effect for the break in the show. It's so hard on the throat. Um, stuff on it, yeah. This is a question from Casey in Tacoma. UCLA feelings. Dear Myron and Maeve, so as a Washington State fan, I've been listening to UCLA and national media approach this week's game as if UCLA... Hmm? Is this something that got delayed or something? Uh, Four days ago. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think this must have gotten delayed because it's all about a Washington State-UCLA game. All right, we're going to skip that one. Okay. Right, Casey. Okay, this is a long one from Nate. I'll read this. Oh my gosh. Please read, don't skip and say it's too long. Always a great disclaimer. Hey guys, you it's too fan long. here. No? It's too long. <laughs> I'm reading it. <laughs> okay. Long time listener, first time emailer. First of all, love you guys. One of my favorite podcasts, period. I think you have great chemistry. One of my favorite things is when David will just go off on a rant, and when he is done, Ryan will just go, okay, then move on. I want to address the recent comments by Ryan about Utah not scoring more than seven points. First of all, maybe he should talk more about USC's defense. They are allowing 30 points per game. You might ask, is that good? That's good, right? That's in the same range as vaunted teams like Rice, CMU, Tulsa, and Georgia Tech. Have they tried not allowing 30 points per game? I don't want to be too hard on Lincoln Riley. They probably have a hard time recruiting and getting transfers to a poverty school like USC, right? I'm sure Grinch will be able to recruit and install the defense he wants if given five more years, maybe more. I definitely wouldn't fire him. For reference, Utah's points per game allowed is 12.2 points per game, good for fifth in the FBS. Now let's get to the offense. Utah averages 21.7 points per game, which is much more than seven points. Now normally I wouldn't defend my team scoring as much as a putrid Iowa offense, but being a fan is about expectations. So you have to lower expectations when they're down to their third and fourth string quarterbacks. They were down three running backs. Jackson just came back against Cal. They are missing their star tight end, Keithy, 
as well as a wide receiver. So then you might ask, well, are those positions important for scoring points? Well, what would USC do if they had the same kind of injuries? Ryan's last response to this was, but Utah should score more than seven. Well, may I remind him that they played twice last season, and guess who won? Utah did, both times. That's right, Utah beat USC twice last year. So Kyle Whittingham and OC Andy Ludwig are probably doing their best to scheme up whatever offense they can from this injured group. In the Utes' last game against Cal, they scored 34. They went back to the pig farmer who did a decent job as a game manager, zero interceptions, and Sione Vaki, who is a safety, played running back, doing quite well, I might add, with two touchdowns. That is all to say that Utah will score more than seven points against USC this Saturday. Also, in the recent coach rankings you did, Lincoln Riley was too high. DeBoer and Whittingham deserve to be the top based on what they have accomplished and where they have their teams. DeBoer, with, the, with his stellar head coaching record everywhere he has been, and Whittingham for taking Utah from G5 to a defending two-time P5 championship. Uh, champ, sorry. Uh, Riley has been to the playoff, yes, but Riley benefited a lot from the situation he was in at Oklahoma. It's easy to recruit to both Oklahoma and USC. At Oklahoma, oh my God, this is so boring. At Oklahoma, this his is best one teams, of the worst emails we've ever got. At Oklahoma, his best teams were talented, were talent he inherited from Bob Stoops, and he isn't exactly known for having good defenses or showing up in big games. Time will tell how his tenure at USC goes, but as of now, no one is scared of them, unlike Oregon and Washington. You also have to think of the job that Leon Danning has done at Oregon in the same time frame and the turnaround for Jonathan Smith at OSU. I would love to see the defense Riley would muster at a place like Corvallis, top 120. Chip Kelly has quite the resume, but hasn't performed at the same level since leaving Oregon. So far, Jed Fish and Jake Dicker have done quite well at their respective schools as well. There are a lot of new and good coaches in this conference, but I don't have time to rank everyone. So here's the top five. One to two, DeBoer and Whittingham. Three and four, Smith and Land Danning. Five, Riley. Anyways, it is super sad that the Pac-12 is dead. Thanks for doing two podcasts a week this year. I vote that you two keep following all the former Pac-12 teams. I would love to hear how you rank them when they are in their different conferences. And hearing David make up sounds for different mascots would be great. Keep it mediocre, boys, and go Utes. Oh, my God, Nate. One of the most boring emails I've ever received. Wow. Wow. What a what a harsh commentary on our it's, listener. It's terrible. I think Nate made a lot of valid and important points. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know Utah beat USC twice last year? Yes. Yes, <laughs> Nate. I, I, was, I was aware. You're acting like I'm a USC fan here talking about go team just tell you what i think but how, holy would, cow, how would usc be doing you could have done that were, in like two sentences how would usc be doing if max williams was playing running back for them right now uh max is pretty good they just scored seven points twice in a row what, what is usc who is usc's fourth string running back or quarterback uh jake jensen for, how would they I be think, doing with jake jensen at quarterback i don't know he started a game at like Somewhere in SEC. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Holy cow. You sent me like 20 paragraph email about a comment I made about Utah should score more than seven points. Like, I'm sorry you don't agree with that. But like I, taking, I, telling me like Alex Grinch and all this stuff. Like, I don't give a shit, dude. Like, just Jake telling Jen, you. Jake Jensen was at, um, is this Duquesne? The hell is this? It was some Davenport University. I don't think that's in the SEC. No, there was some. I don't know. And there was another guy that was. Uh, oh, there was a previous guy. It was. Uh, I forget the other. The other like fourth string guy was like. Anyway, he sounds good. Yeah, he's great. Um, <laughs> you gonna read another email? I, I don't know. That that's like kind of took the life out of me. Like I can't believe you read that. <laughs> 
Like that's a show killer. Like that's, you know, like <laughs> do you watch, uh, you know, Armageddon, and it's just like, um, oh, there's an asteroid coming towards Earth, and uh, and the president's like, well, how bad is it? like damage? Is like damage, sir. It's, it's what we call a planet killer or something like that. Like that's what that email was. It was like a show killer. Um, yeah, if you're going to be long, it has to be funny and interesting, not just like, ha Utah beat USC two years in a row, and look, look at this, and you know, okay. Land Danning's a better coach than Lincoln Riley. Okay, that makes tons of sense. <laughs> you make so much sense. Uh, hey, Ryan and Dave, this is Alex Well, Grinch. only one of those guys is going to be coaching in the Pac-12 next, or go, going to be coaching their team next year. Potentially, yeah. Hmm. It's like, would the Chargers or the Bears hire Land Danning? No. They would hire Lincoln Riley, so who are they going to rank out of? Alex Grinch did his job. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is uh, Josh from the Midwest. It's a pretty big uh, geographical area. Not, he's not going to be very specific. He doesn't want us to like find him, if possible. He says, I wrote in last week to say that a problem with USC is Lincoln Riley, not Alex Grinch. Ryan brushed off my email because clearly Lincoln Riley is the best coach in the Pac-12 and will not even hear an argument by Dave for Kalen DeBoer. That is also not true. Uh, I wanted to send a rebuttal for the Thursday preview show, but decided to wait for Saturday to collect some receipts. The good news is you can't blame the Notre Dame game on Alex Grinch. In fact... I thought his defense performed well enough to get uh, <laughs> to get a contract extension and a raise, uh, which you can blame that performance is on a total lack of preparedness from the players and coaches. They were letting the play clock uh, melt away in the fourth quarter, down three scores, showing no urgency. The great college football writer Spencer Hall summed up USC perfectly. He said they are fundamentally unserious football team. Uh, they hardly ever do the hard things. Or the little things correctly, no matter how many times you spray them with weed killer when trying to catch punts. Uh, the lack of attention to detail, lack of focus, and lack of doing things the right way falls directly on Lincoln Riley's feet. And he's failing miserably. But of course, I have untrained eyes, so he says uh, they're not that far off. So I'm sure it's just me. Good thing USC's schedule gets easier on the back half so they can recover and have a championship season. <sighs> that was funnier. That was much. That better. was better. That was better, and it was, it was shorter and like funny, yeah. not long. And you know, what you to soul killing. Poke your eyes out. Yeah, soul <laughs> killing. Yes. Uh, this Thanks, is Josh. Daniel in Seattle. Kalen DeBoer and the Order of the Phoenix. Hello, <laughs> hey Ryan and David. Go dogs! Cheering at game day, going to the game, storming, storming the field. Totally epic day. I have some Washington, Oregon questions. Hopefully everyone can let us dogs have our moment. One, what was the most surprising thing about the game? For me, it was Dylan Johnson having his first 100-yard rushing game of the season for Washington. It really seemed to open everything else up offensively and was a big win for him and the Washington offensive line. Yeah, I'll go with that. I mean, I would say for me, um, given kind of the adversity dealt to them preseason, Washington's running game turning out to be like not half bad is one of the highlights of the season, uh, I think, for the for the Huskies. So yeah, because yeah. like if things aren't going quite well and you can run the ball, like yeah, that's just another feather in the cap. So I thought that was impressive. Yeah. Um, two. Uh, who lost the game for Oregon? The offense or the defense? Who won the game for Washington? The offense or the defense? I I don't even know if you say like what lost. Like this was just a really good game, and I think both teams played well, and you know there were stretches of some bad play, but I wouldn't say like Oregon lost it. Um, 
you know, if it was the defense, the offense, the defense came up with some really big stops. The offense obviously ran the ball well, scored points for Oregon. I, I don't, I wouldn't say like one side lost the ball for them. I would um, say Washington's defense is probably the answer for me. Um, they uh, want it. Shutting down the four, the three fourth downs turned out to be decisive. And by that token, Oregon's offense was the weaker part for them. Um, you know, it's it's rare that you can point to like three hinge points of a game that are so decisive. But I really think those were. Um, three, what did you come away from the game thinking about these teams defensive prowess? SP plus has Washington's defense rated 28th in the country. Is that unit actually pretty good? They made it difficult for Oregon's offense for a lot of the game. I actually came away thinking both teams' defenses are better than you would think just because yeah. their offenses are so prolific um, that you kind of lose it a little bit in the noise. Now, Oregon's defense, they've only played two real teams in Texas Tech and Washington, but bear in mind Colorado had a good offense coming into that game. They're probably pretty good. I mean, maybe not like a top-tier elite defense, but probably pretty good. And I think for Washington... I mean, results are what they are at this point. They gave up a bunch of backdoor points to Cal, um, but for the most part, they've shut teams down. So, yeah, I mean, Arizona's got a really good offense, and they held them in 24 points. Yeah. So I think both teams' defenses are underrated. I, I think that's fair. Four, is it really fair to criticize Dan Lanning's fourth down decisions in a game where Kalen DeBoer also went for it three times on fourth down? It looked to me like the issue wasn't the calls to go for it, but the play calling and the execution. 100% agree. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, five, last one. If Washington lost the game, what would we be blaming it on? I mean, sometimes you just have two good teams and you can't blame it on. It's just like another possession, Oregon might win. You know, it's just. I don't want to say like Oregon lost or like blame it on this. It's like two team good teams play and like, you know, it's tough. It's tough to get a good result out of that when you're yeah. playing well. Yeah. What, what do you say? I was listening to, um, I like the guys that, yeah, like I like Dan Wetzel a lot. Um, and one of the things they were saying about this fourth down stuff and the analytics. Now there's, it's like, I think one younger guy, like Ross is, I think is a little bit younger, but Pat and Dan are older guys. And they were sort of criticizing the decision to kind of go for it. And one of the the things um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, because if you look at the analytics of it, well, if you go for fourth down, you make it or say it's like two point conversion, like you make it 48 point something percent of the time. So uh, whatever, like you there's there's mathematical reasons to like do that or go for it on fourth down um, and all that. But if you look at like, well, this team is converting on, say, 40, I don't know what a good percentage is, like, you know, 45% of, of fourth downs. And if you, um, you know, score touchdowns after those, it's worth it or, you know, whatever. The numbers are kind of behind it. But sometimes when you're looking on, like, well, what is your real percentage of, like, if you've gone for it fourth down against Sacramento State three times and got them all, that adds to your percent, like that, get, that kind of inflates your percentage. But what is your percentage when it's like a huge game and game day was there and it's against Washington, you're not going to convert those as often. Um, and obviously for, for land Danning, it hasn't been, they were bad last year and bad this year. Does that come into consideration all that? It's not just like, well, your average fourth down is can you convert at this rate? But what is it in critical games against better opponents? It's probably lower. Any that's, thoughts on that? To me, that's a way to infect what is a basic statistical argument with all the same bullshit, dumbhead, coach speak stuff that has always uh, dictated what people do on fourth downs. 
Um, and I'm not, I, I'm not even being joking. I like, I legitimately think it's just, it's, it's a roundabout way of getting back to the same thesis, which is, well, you know, you just got to go by your gut feel on these things. And no, I mean, you don't. And I think it's better to err on the side of what does your, what does your um, offense typically do than um, what, uh, what your gut tells you about the, like, I don't know, the importance of the game and like how that's impacting your players psychologically. I mean, I would just, if I'm, and I'm sure this is a big part of Oregon's ethos, but from the top down, everyone needs to know going into the game, we're going to be one of the most aggressive teams on fourth down. Fourth down is just another down. Depending on the distance, we're just going to call our usual plays and we're going to do it. And I think where they got a little out over their skis was they weren't calling like kind of their usual shit. I mean, a lot of fourth and threes, those should be running downs. Like if it was third and three, that a lot of times is a running down. Um, so I, I, I don't buy any of that analysis. I think if you get too lost in that stuff, you start going by feel again. And when you start going by feel, people are naturally scared and conservative. Um, I, I think you lean on um, how good is your offense. If your offense is pretty good and gets... I mean, I think the stat he was quoting was we get three yards at least on 70% of downs. Okay, then you should be going for it on every fourth and three, pretty much, Um, you know, within reason. I mean, there's no reason to do it really on your own 20 because there's a lot of ways a drive can stop after that. Yeah. Um, But if you're if you're in and around the 50, yeah, 100 percent. If you're near their goal line, 100 percent. I mean, you're expected points. And that's where it gets into like just the math is like your expected points if you go for it and get it because of how good your offense is way outweighs the expected points of kicking a field goal because the expected points of kicking a field goal, even from the whatever it was, the eight, uh, it's not even three. It's like two point eight five because you're you could miss. And think about that. You're electing to kick a field goal in a big game, in a big environment, in a big atmosphere and all that other stuff. Well, what's that likely to do psychologically to your kicker? And that's a singular job. That's not, you know, uh, in an, on an offensive play, if one guy doesn't do his job, there's still a chance for success as long as that one guy is not the ball carrier. Um, you know, a, a running back can make a thing happen. On, on, a, on a kick, that guy screws up. It's him. Um, so that's a lot of pressure in a big game atmosphere. So you can go, you can go down that route forever. Um, so I think the main thing is, uh, and this is maybe the thing for Oregon to work on is there doesn't need to be a whole new set of things that you do on fourth down. Your fourth down play is just another play and treating it like that and getting that drilled into everyone mentally, I would think is more important for the kind of uh, team they want to be than falling back on old tropes about coach speak. Yeah. Well, the 70% of gaining three yards or more, I would wonder what, what was it in like the Washington game and the Texas tech game? Like that might be, it's probably lower than 70%, I would think, you know, and you get inflated by some of the crappy teams that you're playing. And and I think the math probably is easier if it's fourth and one, like you're going to pick that up a lot more. But fourth and three, it might be a little, you know, maybe it's a little closer. I mean, how much lower could it have been? I mean, they had 541 yards of offense in this game on, what are we talking for? 84 plays. So that's over six yards of play. Um, so some of those are busts, some of those are sacks, some of those are, you know, tackles for loss, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it probably held up pretty well against Washington. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm just, 
I think like you can talk yourself into that stuff. And is there at some level, some validity to it? Cause look, were they getting a little tight on their fourth downs with their play calling? Was it a little tight on their offensive coordinator? Maybe, but that's where I say that's a training issue. That's a, you know, getting everyone's minds right going into a game issue more than it is a, you should change your macro decision-making because guys might be a little bit nervous on fourth down. Um, Okay. I think you still got to just run your offense. And I think treating fourth down more as any other down is the way a lot of coaches should be doing it. And I, you know, I, I think for Oregon fans, it's a little discouraging that that has been kind of decisive stuff against Washington the last two times they've played, but that's just shitty luck. Like it really is. And you would rather have Dan Lanning still be on the cutting edge of making the right decisions macro wise than suddenly start rethinking and, and overthinking this stuff. And he said some good things about it this week. He had a press conference and he owned the mistakes and said, look, I mean, that, of course, that's on me, but we're not going to change who we are and what we do. We're going to continue to do this. And I think that's the right attitude. All right. All right. Uh, you're next. Oh, is it, did you finish that one? He oh, had a sorry. picture. Most UW fans know we would not want to play Oregon again. That was a great team and a coin toss finish. Glad we pulled out the win. Go dogs. P.S. That's a very sad duck two years in a row. It's uh, the duck with its head down. Yeah, that was a couple duck pictures. Um, okay, we got one. Allen in St. Louis. Hi, Bryson and Woody. It's your boy, Allen in St. Louis. The question is specifically for Woody, a.k.a. David. I've noticed a major rift in the USC fan base over the years. As Bryson calls it, there are sunshine thumpers. It's pumpers, but that's okay. And doom and gloomers. I graduated from USC during the peak of the Pete Carroll halcyon days. To me, the program should always be managed with national championship aspirations. Anything below that, uh, anything below that is low T beta nonsense. But Bryson attended USC during the Larry Smith days. When mastodons roamed the earth and teams were still allowed to tie games. What WTF are we playing soccer? In reality, USC has spent most of its history, both in terms of record and overall vibes, being more like Larry Scott and less like Pete Carroll. So as an outside observer with absolutely no animus to your rival college, what say you, Woody? Are ultra high standard fans like me spoiled brats? Or is Bryson letting the program off the hook? Thanks, as always, for the bi-weekly distraction from my annual actual important stuff forever huffing that copium, Allen and St. Louis. All right, hang on. i got to hit myself in the head a few times to get in the right mindset for this. Give me a second. Okay. Ow, ow, ow. Okay. All right, first, um, I reject the premise that uh, my co-host is um, uh, letting uh, the USC program off the hook. Um, now, you might... You might be prone to a little recency bias here where I think Ryan is uh, uh, portraying the position of, well, you know, you got to kind of wait and see on this. They're 17 and four. Get a grip, everyone. Uh, But that's not the same as letting the program off the hook. Um, If you were paying attention during the Clay Helton era, I think Ryan called for his firing in the fourth year, maybe. Pretty early. Uh, Yeah. At, min- at, at, at latest, I, mean, I said before. he should have been hired to begin with from the very Correct. beginning. Right? There was a lot of um, holding the feet to the fire. So I reject that premise. But your larger question, I think, is an interesting one, which is. Uh, uh, and I'm going to take it from the specific to the general. Should a program's fans expectations be based on the high points of the program or the median points of the program? 
And this is a really interesting question for me because it doesn't just apply to USC. It also applies very closely to UCLA. And I think the struggle for a lot of UCLA fans, I think in a lot of ways, obviously the, the levels are different, but I think the, the kind of philosophical struggle for USC fans is very similar to the philosophical struggle for UCLA fans because UCLA went from a Rose Bowl contending program on the regular through 1998 to one that, you know, is an iffy bowl team most years since then in the last 25 USC went from, uh, in the Pete Carroll era, winning titles every year, uh, to, you know, they might get a Rose bowl every 10 years, something like that since whatever, 2008. So that's a, that's a tough situation to be in. Now, my thinking on it generally is how much of the Pete Carroll era and before him, um, you know, the, the great coaches in the past, how much of that stuff is replicable now? Um, how much of that was one-off situations? How much of it was, you know, just kind of the luck of the draw? And I think for USC, it's completely replicable with the right set of circumstances. What that means, though, is getting recruiting buy-in. Because um, I'm looking at USC's class right now for next year, and it's that's not a USC class. That is a... Um, I mean, like a decent UCLA class, maybe. Like, what are they right now? They are 19th overall. They don't have a five-star committed. They've got 15 commits. Um, that's not a that's not a very good USC class. Um, so, okay, what's the NIL apparatus? Because that's the thing that needs to be there if you're going to be a top-level recruiting program right now. So that's first. Second, um, do you have the right and this is the question that I think, like, Ryan would say, probably rightly, it's too early to start talking about this, but do you have the right coach? Do you have a coach who is going to create an elite program? And that requires, it requires either a trade-off um, where you have a super elite offense, number one, but the defense can't be horrible. The defense still has to be, like, top 40 if you're going to be a major contending program, or somebody who's going to take both sides of the ball super seriously, like Pete Carroll did. Um, and... I don't know. I think the jury's out a little bit on that. I think you've got a, a high floor program right now, but whether the ceiling is winning a title is an open question. Um, but I think this applies also to, I mean, it applies to UCLA. You know, I, I would say this to UCLA fans too, which is the only, the only major difference between what the program was in 1998 and the program is now is coaching and uh, recruiting focus. But there've been moments in the last 25 where you've seen the combination work well. Uh, and I think the same is true for USC. Um, you, you know, it, it, for UCLA fans, it's the Jim Mora era. He's not even that good of a coach, but they recruited the hell out of everything. And suddenly they were, you know, uh, dark horse playoff contenders in the preseason. They were winning 10 games a year. Like these things, um, you know, it, it's, it's shocking how quickly this stuff can shift. So Every program is its median at some level, and anybody can look at, I mean, even Alabama. I mean, their historical average is probably winning nine games a year. But that's not what any Alabama fan thinks of Alabama football. It's, oh, we're going to win 11 or 12 every year. I think USC, yeah, the median is whatever, an eight and five, eight, eight 8.5 wins per year probably, but that's not a reflection of what the program's potential is. And I think for fans who want um, – who obviously want to see their team win a lot. I think it's much, much more um, intellectually justified to uh, uh, 
hold the program to the expectations of being what it can be, being what it can be at its highest potential. So, no, I don't think your uh, opinion is illegitimate, Alan. Um, you saw the Pete Carroll era, so that's what you want. And maybe it won't ever be exactly like that again. But USC absolutely has that potential. And I think UCLA fan who graduated in 1998, you want that for your program? Yeah. And that absolutely has that potential. I mean, these two schools are in L.A. You can recruit anybody to this place. It rocks. So do it. Losers. <laughs> nice. There you uh, I think you're next. Okay. This is from Dave. Uh, do we need to change how scoring works? As expected, Ryan Grubb's strategy of scoring points once again defeats a time of possession dominating offense. Is it time for a rule change to give time of possession a direct impact on the final score? <laughs> Many Oregon fans are telling me Oregon is a better team because of their defense and they are 6-0 and in time of possession. Shouldn't the scoreboard reflect who the best team is? Oregon has the best defense in the country, but they scored zero points this weekend. Why not give one point for a three and out, two points for a turnover? Football scores are boring. We need more numbers. I like when number go up. Every play should impact the score. Faster changing numbers. Bigger numbers. Get five points for every yard. Two points for every second of possession. Ten points to the defense for every negative yard. Nineteen points for a first down. A hundred points for an interception. Seventy-five points for a turnover. A hundred minus yards from the goal line for every punt. Seven hundred points for a touchdown. Extra points are boring. There should be a panel of judges rating touchdown celebrations. Yes, we need to allow celebrations. From 1 to 100 to decide how many points the extra point is worth. 50 points for unused timeouts. 50 to 500 points for the number of retweets the halftime speech gets. 68 points for a one-handed catch. 37 points for a stiff arm. 45 points for juking a guy so hard he falls over. 13 points for a non-quarterback pass completion. 3,000 points for a safety. Safeties are cool. Incentivize more safeties. Washington still wins 6,872 to 6,740. R.I.P. Puddles. Nice. I do love the, like... Punt, like the punting is like how how like how far away from the goal line are you get like more <laughs> points for that's pretty good <laughs> that would be good it sounds like a spring game though like that's remember like you know, the, the spring games have like weird scoring and everything yeah um yeah uh let's see private wilcox pick please don't open before the simulcast okay so we can't share this on the simulcast unfortunately but it was that one do you remember like there was a when he was at washington it was like kind of moving his tongue a little bit or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, last week, Ryan said he likes the way Wilcox looked. Uh, does this do anything for you, Ryan? So it's like the him, like, like it's like, yeah, it's kind of a weird it one. Do, if you remember do, that. The, the, the answer is yes. It does something for Ryan. Yeah. Uh, while we're on the subject, have either of you read the podcast of champions fan fix? Uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, are these really fan fix or did you write them yourselves? I, I don't even know what it is. So, do you know what those are? No, I don't know what that is. Okay, so we, we definitely didn't write them because we don't even know what they are. Have you considered adding a third character to your podcast to expand shipping options in the future? Surely, Big Ten deal includes moving one of the Midwest schools, twenty four seven employees to LA for your podcast to cover all the boring games you don't care about, right? Uh, is Jay Lehman on the payroll for? I don't know. Line I Inquirer. Is that any, any Illini I, inquiry? Oh, is that all? Like, oh my God. It just looks like a whole bunch of lines. Uh, he has my vote for, oh, he has my vote. Can't decide if he looks better now or when he was a player. What do you think? No I, idea. I literally have no idea what any of this is. Yeah. 
All right, moving on. Sorry, Uh, This is from Double Down, living in Vegas. David David Woods, some bobcats kill full-grown deer. Barn cat is more your speed, and cost of victory might be too great. You both should pick up (laughs) agriculture vernacular like barn cats starting in 2024. Do you expect future great-slash-good Pac-12 teams to have more flat games games than expected starting in 2024 when more games are in the Central and Eastern time zones? Great show. Like Uh, in flat land? Is that what we're talking about here? Uh... Maybe like teams coming out flat is oh yeah sure I, I, yeah like you were definitely on that you're thinking that the the time zones and stuff is gonna negatively Clari- impact uh, all right so um, you got to clarify your word usage now that we are headed to the Midwest because flat can mean a lot of things out there yes it can mean the way your team plays but it can also just describe the topography so sure. uh, I will need I will need uh, more information more context. All right, Chris and NorCal, Troy Taylor, fun fact. Hey, guys, this might have uh, been brought up in a previous episode, so feel free to ignore me. I've been wanting to ignore a lot of these emails today, I guess. Uh, yeah, whilst listening to, <laughs> I know. Listening to your, uh, you guys rank the Pac-12 coaches based on how good-looking they are. It reminded me of a similar – why do we do this stuff? Because then we just get more emails. Um, it reminded me of a similar discussion some of my female classmates were having during a rainy day of high school PE years ago. Uh, this can only go well. Instead of Pac-12 coaches, it was their teachers. Funny enough, our PE teacher at the time is now the head coach of Stanford, Troy Taylor. He also didn't make their list either. Even <laughs> okay, so that's kind of sad. Even though I think it's great you guys share a similar mindset as some high school girls, that's not the reason I'm writing this. I'm writing this to tell you that Mr. Taylor was more than my PE teacher. He was also the high school coach of one of the Pac-12 quarterbacks of all time (laughs) and podcast of champion all-time QB, Jake Browning. He actually had been coaching him since he was in fifth grade and took the Eastern Washington job shortly after Jake graduated. Thought that'd be a fun fact for you guys. Love the show. I'll hang up and listen. Chris and NorCal. All right. So I'm going to give you one more opportunity. Now, knowing this information, are you going to change your pick in the UCLA Stanford game? Uh, Because Troy Taylor coached the great one. Mr. Noodle Arm himself. <laughs> no, it, it just emphasizes the fact that um, they're going to fall on their face. He, oh, he wasn't voted. Like the high school girls agreed with us. He wasn't voted one of the best looking, which I feel bad. I'm, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I can't believe Jake Browning finally graduated last year. But is he? I thought he was, uh, I thought he has like one semester left. <laughs> no? Uh, don't worry, it's short. This is from Thomas. Hey, guys. Yay! Sorry if my last email was too long and also confusing. Why did David say the early signing period has such little impact on when and where both high school recruits and transfers end up going? Or was that not what he meant? Somehow I'm still confused. Am okay, confused? first of all, I'm going to applaud if I had my mixing board. I'm going to give you super applause, Thomas, because I yeah, think... Yeah, no, this is great. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, so did you say something about the early signing period have a little impact? I, I, I honestly, God can't remember his question. So I don't know what context I was saying that in, uh, yeah. hang on, hang on. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the bottom of this cause I will not be accused of saying something. Cause I ever. could go off and say, Thomas, you need to write longer emails. This is way too short. We don't know what you're talking about. I'm just kidding. That was the, you know, what would FBS team r- rosters look like in the NIL era if the early signing period didn't exist? Would the transfer portal become even more influential and disruptive, or would things evolve into something closer 
So, okay, no, what I was saying is it doesn't, I don't understand what your connection is that you're making between NIL and the early signing period. So yeah. that's, that's my point. Um, I, I think there's a lot of times um, there's connections being drawn with some of these emails where I don't, I don't really understand what is going on because NIL will impact either an early signing period or a late signing period because there's inducements being made no matter when the date is that you can sign. Yeah. So, I don't think it has anything. Yeah. We so both yeah, think the early signing period sucks, but it doesn't. The early signing period sucks, and it obviously has an impact on where recruits go. But the connection to NIL, I, I don't understand what the connection is. NIL is going to, there's going to be NIL inducements if you moved an early signing period even earlier, or if you went back to a late signing period. So NIL, there's no connection between that and an impact on the early signing period. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Because that's that's so. the point I was making in response to your email. All right. Kirk, okay. Then, uh, yeah, there was oh. this voicemail that we're not listening to. Yeah. We do, We have... Uh, <laughs> the email is from FAHQ. <laughs> F-A-H-H. And then Q as like standing in line in Europe. Um, Big Penix Energy. Ryan, <laughs> Dave. Uh, I think it's it's pronounced Penix, I believe, David. Mm -hmm. um, how do you pronounce it? Pen uh, Penix. <laughs> I love that you got screwed up there. Uh, why are we not talking about how weird it was that Desmond Howard did a chant of big, and he said, I think, big Penix energy on live television? What in God's green earth has happened to College Games Day? Uh, thanks for answering my question. I've never written into the show. Mm. Uh, thanks. Uh, fuck, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't see the chant. I did get it tweeted at me, so that's great. Um, that's just good queen fun. So I'm fine with that. I don't know if he did it on purpose or didn't understand or just. Yeah, I don't know. Or or maybe he did. Yeah, that was RG3 last year who, who coined that one. But he said Penix energy. No, he said Penix energy. I don't remember what he said, but uh, he was clearly playing on the idea that it is a penis with an X instead of an S. Yes. Um, all right, cool. This is. Oh, wait, that's what the joke is? It's close to Penix is close to penis? <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> oh, now that makes sense. Oh, everything comes together <laughs> here at the end. All right, this is from Bill. Quote, Oregon outplayed Washington, end quote. Hi, guys. I take exception to David's comments that Oregon outplayed Washington. Consider the following, and he has posted a win probability graph where most of the game, uh, it was in favor of Washington. UW had a positive win expectancy for the majority of the game, and it only favored Oregon after Grubb inexplicably decided to pass on six straight plays despite Dylan Johnson averaging close to seven yards per carry up to that point. UW was uh, up 11 with possession before the back-to-back -back three and outs let Oregon regain the lead. Credit Oregon's defense, obviously, but had UW continued to run the ball, I have no doubt the game would have ended up differently. Since David is an advanced stats nerd, also consider that UW had a post-game win expectancy of 59%. Yes, it was a close game, but UW was expected to win. I can accept someone saying UW won a coin flip game, but I see little evidence that UW was definitively outplayed. Thank you, Bill. My co-host says a lot of dumb shit, and you you got to call wow. him on it, man. Wow. So dumb. <laughs> I remember you did, I like, you said that, and I was like, I kind of pushed back. I'm like, I don't think they outplayed them, but, I mean, they, they had control later in the game. Um, 
but I observed with my own eyes and came to my own conclusions as a free thinking individual. I was basing it off of feel as every dummy wants Dan Lanning to base his fourth down decisions off of feel. Don't throw me your stats, Bill, <laughs> if that is even your real name. His last name. I love his last name. It's like from. Uh, We're not supposed to share that. I know. But it's it like is Christ- Christmas vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Well, come on. You just. Oh, whatever. <laughs> it could have been anybody. Um. Yeah. Well, that's our show. That is our show. It was a fine. Um, show. It, it might not Stop ever get come. It might not become. It might. You might never hear this because David has to like edit it and put it up. So. That yeah. Was, that- you were denigrating uh, my technical abilities there. No, you when you do you do it actually you do a good job. Of course I do. I it's even not layer like... I even layer it over the intro. I take care and time in doing this, which is why I hate doing it. Yeah. Well, I love yeah. it when you do it. Yeah, I bet you do. It does get a little tiring. I'm like, you know what, David, you got to do this one. We should just I'm do not... we should we should do every other one. Like you do like one, I'll do the next one. No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Are you going to do all of them? You can do, you, the next like month. You finish the season. No, I've been do. doing them. I've been doing all of them um, up till like last week. I'd done every single one of these. So I think it's really revisionist history that you're making it seem like we <laughs> have this horrible um, work balance going on. Do you want it? Do you want to put your name on all the copy that's up there on the YouTube channel? Oh, and the... oh damn. Do I have to write that shit? Yeah. Oh. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, whatever. Oh. No. No. <laughs> no. All right. Well, uh, I don't know. How do we end this stupid thing? You do it, um, don't you? I usually end it. I usually go, well, that's our show. Uh, again, I apologize for all the dumb things David Wood says, like Oregon outplayed Washington, Bill. Um, you know, we'll try to be better uh, next time, or at least David will try to be better. Uh, but yeah. can't promise anything. No. We hope you uh, enjoyed the show. Sorry again, uh, doing this remotely, but we'll be back uh, in studio next week, recapping all the fun week eight action for David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. We will talk to you next time. Oh, goodbye. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.